Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am very excited today because I have verifiable proof that no matter what happens to our industry, we will find creative outlets. We will find ways to make productions, uh, even if it comes down to sitting in our garage, tinkering with toys and putting it out there or uh, manipulating some photons or changing around some digital codes. We will always find a way to make art. We will definitely always find a way to keep our brains busy and uh, creativity will not be stifled. Definitely not from a, an industry based on creativity and connection and gathering. So I am very excited today. I have one of my very longtime friends. His name is Brent Sanrock. He is a lighting and media programmer at Creative Lumens out of Chicago. Thank you so much, Brent. I really appreciate you joining me today. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> you have a beautiful home office. It's uh, very clean kempt and uh, looks like you're in a very good position to weather the storm. Something like that. I mean, maybe we just don't touch anything on the bookshelf behind me and that's why it always <laughs> looks nice. <laughs> the books do look very well cut. It's the showpiece, yes. <laughs> Don't, don't touch those books. Those are for, those are for looking books. Yeah. (laughs) So I am very excited because I have so many questions. You were kind enough to send me the video of the gingerbread roadies, uh, so that I don't do it any injustices. Can you explain what the gingerbread roadies are all about? The gingerbread roadies are a stop motion time-lapse animation, I guess is what I would call it of uh, gingerbread roadies uh, loading in a show into a gingerbread arena. And based on all of the rules of gingerbread house making, uh, everything that you see is edible. Uh, There is nothing in there that you could not eat right now, though I would not recommend it because it's been sitting out in my basement for a month. (laughs) Loadout is... Loadout's not going to be as exciting as I had hoped for. My kids had asked me about Loadout, what Loadout would be like. And I'm like, well, I guess you just have to eat the whole thing. I it was. Not exactly. Yeah. And my uh, my favorite comment that I saw that somebody sent me was, uh, catering is going to be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> which I which um, I quite enjoy. This is exactly the roadie entertainment business sort of mentality. Well, if... If a gingerbread house is good, then clearly a gingerbread arena is much better. (laughs) It's definitely much larger. And as I started to multiply out the numbers of things that I was going to need, it's in a much larger quantity than if you're just making a nice little Cape Cod with a a roof (laughs) and a porch. 
<laughs> it's a little bit more than just some uh, some candy, uh, some cotton candy for a chimney. It's yes, it's impressive. Yes. Well, I appreciate so did, it. Did you bake everything that we saw there? Yes, yes. So I started in the middle of October. Um, kind of thinking about it, watching a lot of YouTube videos of other time lapse of shows being put up and trying to get kind of a baseline of what I thought I would need. And then it really spun off from there into figuring out all of the details, what candies would work for what elements and yes, baking. It was a lot of gingerbread baking. I tried out three different recipes. That was the first part to see what would actually work the best. Um, because no gingerbread recipe is the same and they all have good things and bad things, I guess, about them. Um, but the one I finally decided on worked really, really well because the pieces didn't expand very much in the oven. Right. So I'm, I'm cutting out pieces. I want them to be precise because it's a scale model. So a quarter of an inch is all of a sudden a foot rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, a minor variation. And, this recipe allowed it allowed me to make it so that every piece that I would put in came out almost like it did. Got it. <laughs> How I put it in. All right. So the the arena, did you have to start with a fair amount of carpentry to get the everything, the base level stuff? A little bit. Um, the the actual like the surface is a large piece of plywood. Um, and then on top of that, a piece of drywall, just because drywall for me was the most flat level, perfect surface. Okay. But then I put another piece of drywall on top of that, that I routed out the actual ice surface because I needed that to be uh, slightly lower depth so that I could build that up and it be actually sunken in. Okay. And then on top of that, because the gingerbread doesn't weigh that much, instead of using wood or anything, I ended up using cardboard and just cut out a lot of risers and pieces to put the actual um, tiers on the of the gingerbread. Got it. So the bleachers are those ply- are those are drywall. No, so they're actually just uh, like stair steps of cardboard. Okay, and then strips of gingerbread on top of that. Got it. There will be a behind the scenes video because I ended up actually shooting the whole thing with a GoPro. So there is actually a time lapse of me like doing all of the work because I thought at some point I wanted to see how it looked. Good thinking. I I'm looking forward to seeing all that. Uh, So if any of you have not seen it, I will definitely put, leave a link to it. But even though we're talking about all the, all the plywood and the cardboard, you don't see any of it. Everything that you see is candy and edible. Yes. You can, at the very end of the video, there's a real brief bit of time-lapse of me Uh, working on it because I got a comment early on, oh, you know, people might think that it's just a computer animation, which I would have incredible computer animation skills if that were true, because I, most of the time, you know, you see a computer animation, there's not quite the variation even in each individual person and that. uh, So it is definitely not. It is definitely me moving around lots of things over the course of a long period of time. How long of a time did that take? You said you started in October. I started in October. That was conceptual. I built this ridiculously giant spreadsheet um, with every frame because the total, it's about 500 frames. Uh, and so each, you know, as I, as I went through all these other videos and 
figured out, okay, this is when audio loads in, this is when the video trust goes up, et cetera. I put those into this giant spreadsheet so that every frame I knew kind of where I was going and what was happening. And then it was obviously building all the elements. So, okay, I need to build the trusses. I need to build the, even just the audio speakers were uh, Tootsie Roll, fruit, fruit Tootsie Rolls. They're called like fruities or something. Uh And out of the package, they look kind of janky. So I had to kind of squish them and flatten them a little bit and make them look like a speaker stack rather than just using them how they came out. So it was a lot of that. And then the actual shoot ended up only being mm, two and a half weeks ish. Uh, But there were some days that I would get 20, 25 frames done because each frame would just take so long. <laughs> so many things are happening. You don't really realize when you're watching them. I mean, you do realize, but you don't fully understand how all of the departments are literally working all at the same time, all doing different things. Yeah. I can only imagine that you would be so focused on the trust at one time that you would have completely forgotten that you have to be doing front of house as well. And yeah. Uh, but that was necessary and that was what was fun it was so interesting i mean we've all been through how many load-ins and to finally be really carefully watching the other departments to see wow okay for staging this is the point that they would be at i mean i if you glance over as you're loading in you see oh okay i'm seeing speakers going up but not to actually know this takes five minutes this takes 10 minutes this takes however long and so it was really fun. It was really fun to really dissect a time-lapse video and then re kind of remake it. The attention to detail was impressive. Even to where the forklift was in the frame, it was, you know, you definitely put all the necessary forethought into it. Well, and there's so many inside jokes for me, and I'm sure people are also noticing them, but forklift is a perfect one. If you notice... Uh, halfway through, there's just a forklift parked um, house left at the dasher, which would be perfectly good to be loading stuff onto the stage. And yet another one comes in and is that's the one that's loading stuff onto the stage, right? My, my front of house joke is that there are so many times when I get there and I really need to work, right? And the venue hasn't built front of house yet. So if you watch it, it basically gets half built and then there's just a platform sitting on it for what is, you know, in essence, an hour where nothing's happening. And then finally it gets finished built. And how many times <laughs> has that happened to us? Right. So there, there were enough of those things that kept me going of like, I'm going to put this in because this is what's happened. This That's is actually real. a load in. It's That's not real. the perfect version of a load and it's a real load in. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I will have to rewatch it. There are, I could watch it five or 10 more times and still be catching inside jokes. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the couple of the questions I have about it were what are the trusses made of? Those are made of vanilla wafer cookies. So um, I can't even remember the brand now, but they're, they're like a wafer and then there's a layer of vanilla or chocolate um, and then another wafer kind of cookie uh, another layer of vanilla chocolate and finally a, a last bit of wafer. So, and then there's two of them stuck together. Got it. Now, and they were a great choice because they were lightweight, mm-hmm. but the, when you use the Royal icing to stick things together, there's a little bit of moisture migration that happens. So they then 
started like coming apart because the moisture from the icing that I would put in would go into where the layer was with the frosting and then essentially right. separate. Got so it. there was a lot of like repair work having to be done um, <laughs> with that, but. Relying on your roots. I know. Even in the middle of loading, you got to fix stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no lights. No lights were broken. That was a good thing. Yeah. Gum, gumdrop lights are so much easier to fix than actual. Very like, resilient to moving, Very dropping resilient. or setting up. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I would imagine that it was also beneficial that they were light because you had to actually lift your trusses in real space. Yes, um, and for that, the best thing I found was they're called licorice laces and they are delicious, um, but they're also, <laughs> I figured just in terms of width-wise and to have the color because it's fun, then they stick out against the background. But they, so they worked really well, but they have a little bit of give to them. So I, when I initially was trying to test it and kind of pull on them, they were very stretchy. So I left them out of a package kind of in the open air for a week to see. And it's like, okay, now there's a little bit less stretch, but if I left them out too long, then they would sort of snap because now they're, they're too, they're too brittle. So there was sort of a careful in between. And that is, again, you can't see it, but once the trusses get trimmed, I have some cardboard pieces that I put from the top that hold it in place because I found I did one, the video truss, which has eight separate pieces. I thought that would be enough, but I came down then the next morning after finishing for the night and I took a frame and I'm going back and forth because I always would check, okay, is everything moving? Is something happening between the two frames? And I saw that it had slightly, you know, gone down. The, the video truss had sank just a little bit. And it's just because the weight of it and these, it's a, supposed to be a stretchy candy. So it's doing its job. <laughs> but I had to sort of, you know, go against that, um, which it works. It works. It, it, does, it does what it's supposed to. It's just at the end when I would get them to trim, I had to sort of lock them down. <laughs> I picture you sending an email to the company. Uh, so this is an odd question. What's the tinsel strength of <laughs> licorice laces? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And how can I, how can I test that? Do, do you have any two ton licorice laces? Cause I've got some, uh, some audio I need to hoist. Yeah. And there was a lot of licorice, actually a lot of black licorice, which I, I definitely do not like. And I know that's sort of a it's a hard line for a lot of people, right? People it really is. love licorice or they really hate licorice. And I am, I am in the very, very much against it. So that that was a little difficult just because of the smell of working with it, but um, it's all right. I appreciate licorice, but not as a member of all of the other Christmas candies. It doesn't belong there. It, and it sometimes sneaks in, like you grab a candy and you go, oh, this looks delicious. And then it's, oh God, no. Oh, what happened? Because yeah. you don't realize that it was licorice. Like it just needs to be in one form. It can't keep changing its shape and color and that. Uh, when I think of a, a bag of jelly beans, I think of all the wonderful colors and flavors. And then there's the black ones and you're like, you don't belong. Right. Or buttered popcorn because... It's delicious, but not when I've just had strawberry. I don't want strawberry and then buttered popcorn or that in the totally. same time. Totally, yeah. Terrible. It should be, you know, segregated, you yeah. know, 
please don't read into this any more than we're <laughs> discussing here. We're just saying that the licorice and the buttered popcorn should be segregated. Yes. <laughs> okay. My very first question and the one that led to me wanting to do this podcast was watching the stage roll. Mm -hmm. Was that as time consuming as I think it was? That actually wasn't very time consuming. Um, the, the worst part about that was, again, the structure that's underneath the stage was those vanilla and then chocolate wafer cookies. And what happened was, as I started pushing it, some of them were separating. So I could hold the front ones because I could actually get to them. But all of the ones that were underneath the stage were sort of separating and like sliding in a different way. Because they're so just like reality. Well, right, right. And, and they're sliding against the, the homosote or whatever is now the modern version is... Uh, graham crackers mm -hmm. so there was a lot of friction more than i expected um but again the difference between a frame like that and a frame where a truss is moving all this other kind of stuff for that i fortunately could just move all the the gingerbread men out of the way push the stage a little bit and then reset up all the gingerbread men so it actually was a pretty quick way or a quick frame to get through Got versus it. some of the other ones but at the end it was there was a little bit of a height difference so i had to do a little bit of finagling once it got all the way upstage uh because the the quote-unquote concrete that was upstage which is fondant was at a slightly different level i really i probably needed an engineer to get that more perfected but it worked it worked <laughs> what was the what was the crew call for this one how many total gingerbread men or gingerbread roadies did this take I think it was 30. Um, there were a few, um, there were, there was one casualty. Uh, there was a workplace injury, uh, one that <laughs> slipped out of my hand and fell onto the concrete of my basement floor. <laughs> and it was I actually like cried out like, no, because it, you know, so I had had one early on fall, but then it just kind of chipped off a tiny bit and you couldn't see it and it was fine. But this one, like, it broke from the waist down. I couldn't even find one of the legs. It was a disaster. So I was like, well, it's, it's okay. You know, most of them, they were able to be reused. So you could see one, you know, moving off. And then I would just immediately put them somewhere else. Um, <laughs> which if you also watch it through, you'll see a lot of like two people just standing in the center for a while looking at stuff because that's what people do. Right. You know, yeah. you have, a production manager comes in to check on everything and is talking to somebody or whatever. So it was funny because I didn't really have specific roles for individual gingerbread men. Like I didn't keep track of because that's why, well, that was why I put everybody in black and or gray because yeah. it was, it was able to be interchangeable and also uh, realistic. <laughs> you didn't, uh, you didn't segregate the lighting roadies and the, the audio gingerbread. Not so much. The only key ones were like, I put myself at front of house in the, the red and black checkerboard Got shirt. It. That was like, you know, my character. And, uh, and actually there was a few, um, as I was mixing fondant for the other things, like for the simpty pattern, uh, on the video screen and, and like the, the concrete and stuff, I would maybe save a little bit and then just put it on a shirt. So there's a few that have like sort of a reddish shirt 
And okay. those guys came in early and then ended up being sort of the dimmer guys, I guess. Like I just found them always by the lighting thing. So I'm like, well, these are the lighting guys now. <laughs> it works. I'm starting to picture you getting uh, emotionally attached to some of them. And when you dropped one, you're like, oh my God, I just. It's just, it was, yeah. There's a couple of those moments where you're just, oh man. Cause some of them actually more so it would be, I would set up this whole thing of five or six, you know, sort of talking to each other and there's one guy and another guy. And then I would either bump one and it's literally a domino effect. Right. And so then they would all just splat down and go, ah, but I had such a great scene. <laughs> now we have to call gingerbread OSHA in to yeah. make sure this is safe. And, you know, next thing you know, now I'm going to have to bake a bunch of hard hats and it's yeah. It turns into a different show. Oh man. So what was the video content? Like, how did you get it to stay vertical? Um, oh, you mean in uh, the actual video screen that's yes. in the, oh, okay. I'm talking about the, the candy video content. So that is actually, um, and again, you cannot see anything that's not edible, but there was, uh, some, I, I used, actually plastic edging that you use for uh, drywall. Um, I cut and I used on the back of the video truss and then I had a giant piece that was the video screen if it was off. And I had another piece that then I had put on all of the Simpty pattern. Then I had another piece that I had with the Simpty pattern where it's broken when they first turn it on. And then I had another piece that had the test pattern that was the last thing. So it was sort of a progression. So when I, in my spreadsheet, when it said, okay, now go to the test pattern, I would physically just remove the wall and then I put in a different wall. Gotcha. That makes sense. Very clever. It was time consuming because it was, okay, now I need to make four different walls. But in the moment when it was time to go to that frame, it was so easy to just remove and put in a new one rather than being like, okay, now I have to somehow insert all these elements wait for them to dry and hope that they don't fall. Right on. What are the cable ramps? Cause those look exactly like cable ramps. They are fondant, which I hadn't really ever worked with. I'm not a professional baker at all, but it's this um, thing that they use for like wedding cakes and stuff. That's a, it's an edible frosting meringue type thing that you can roll like a dough and I ended up buying sort of every color. So I had a red, a green, a blue, a yellow, a black, a white, and using them, that was just pure yellow, which I rolled out. I then put over a, just a tiny piece of cardboard that I used to deform it, um, knowing that I was going to put three different cables essentially under it. Um, and then you can, if you just leave it out, it hardens. And so it hardened and that worked great. Right on. The, the last question I have was the, the consoles. Yes. Those are so meticulous. <laughs> I had to use the tweezers. I will admit um, the, so the MA is a piece of gross licorice um, that's split <laughs> in half and then smashed and pressed uh, the screens were uh, pieces of fondant, I believe. No. Yeah, I think that was fondant. 
and then the faders are sprinkles and the buttons are also just chopped up sprinkles that I used. The audio consoles are um, also fondant, just rolled much thicker. And then the screens on that are fondant from a different color cut out. And then same thing, faders are all sprinkles. Um, so Got that, it. Yeah, I mean, there was, I, I'm not an audio guy, so I just looked up a console. It's maybe an SD7, who knows? I don't Sure. It, yeah, but... I'm sure I'll get lots of comments about that, that it wasn't quite accurate or something. I did put up the, the front of house fill speakers. So give me credit for that. There's the audio guy that needs the, the fill speakers at his console. Yep. So I th- those look like they are rice crispy or something. No, those are also um, the fruit Tootsie Rolls. Again, just cut and formed a little bit. And again, another Easter egg, and I, I love to the audio guys, there is a tuning mic that gets put out in the house and it is out there and you will see it. So just saying, I'm not, I'm not only a lighting and video guy. I oh, I thought everybody. that was like a uh, slippery when wet sign or something. No, no, no. It's even that weird, tiny gray color that it always is. Yep. Yep. I can see that. That's, that is attention to detail. Even the the bike racks out at front of house are different from the other bike rack or from the barricade. That's well, yeah, good yeah absolutely. You, you can't have the same. I mean, also if you notice, they put out the house puts out the barricades all the way at the bottom of the screen very very early, like they're just starting to load in, and all of a sudden the bike racks appear. Because why wouldn't they appear? This is something that we need at five p.m., but let's put it out there at seven thirty in the morning and put it right in the middle of everything that you're loading in. These gingerbread men are really making a statement here. They're like, I'm just saying it's even the gingerbread man can't come up with a better load in process than us. It's, well, you know, their little gingerbread brains can't figure out when things show up. So if you notice early on, a chair card comes out for no reason and then it goes away. It. Yeah. I saw it. Yeah. And, and you're probably sure like, oh, what were... is that? And then later, oh, okay. So let's talk about how this guy came to be coordinated and, uh, is attached to we make events sure well i was finishing it up and um had a very few select people i have my a creative partner i work with uh, a guy named ross and he had been seeing all the updates and checking stuff out and we were talking about you know who who can we attach this to who can we really um who can help make it popular who can get it out to everybody and we had worked with Rob Gibson in the past and he's such a great connector. He knows everybody and connects so many people all the time. So we sent it to him and then had him say, well, you know, I've worked with, we make events who really is a, a you know, an industry uh, advocate and has been fighting for all of us. So let's send it to them. Let's see if they, you know, like what it is and, and, you know, see what they can do with it. Because we really wanted to attach mostly awareness, right? That was a that was a goal. But also, is there a way that we can add a donation? You know, is there something that we can get out there that will actually help our friends and colleagues? And mm-hmm. so we sent it to Rob. Rob put us in touch with the We Make Events people. And 
they loved it, which is awesome. Uh, and we're happy to have their names on it. And then also connected us to the Level Up Festival, which is coming up today. Uh, actually, I know you're gonna be listening to this and it will have already happened, but mm -hmm. they were then also excited about it and happy to have their text to donation added as the easiest actionable way um, to add a donation. Very cool. That's a great way to do what we're so accustomed to do is using our creativity to help others. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And we thought it was a good connection because the, you know, that festival is about all of us, about us who are working behind the scenes, who, you know, are not able to be putting up shows right now. So it's exactly the people that we want to support. Okay. And the, at the end, it actually gives us the text to donate, which is text lift up to 707070. Yes. And where does that go? Do you know where that goes to? They have three um, beneficiaries of that, um, <laughs> which is which is great because when we were discussing exactly, you know, yeah, who do we who do we involve, right? Who who is the 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 specific people that we want to help? Um, we didn't we didn't have a clear picture, and so they said, yeah, you know, we're we're supporting these these different groups, and they're they're who we think um, can benefit the most from this. So the three beneficiaries of the funds that you donate um, are going to the clinic, which is a new uh, roadie ad, uh, advocacy group, which is two people from the industry that have started this great resource for people on and off the road um, and something that is great for mental and physical health for all of us, even in the future, not just during COVID and everything else. Um, also the CMA foundation, which is again, a great thing to be partnered with and the uh, music cares, which is the uh, Grammy organization. So they are, they're just, they're all worthy causes. Um, and, uh, you know, again, a great aggregate way to support multiple things. Cool. I think these are all worthy causes. Thank you so much for raising some awareness for that. So here's, here's the real life part of this podcast is you undertook this knowing or, you know, not being as certain as we can be as certain of anything these days that this was going to take you several months, several weeks at, at, at minimum. Yeah. So, I mean, I would imagine you finally become accepting of the fact that we're, we're out of work for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't imagine that if, even if you got a phone call, you wouldn't be like, well, sorry, I, I'm in the middle of a gingerbread load in right now. <laughs> right. Uh, really can't, really can't talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's been a weird year. I'm, it's been weird for everybody. It's been um, upsetting. It's been interesting. It's been challenging, all of those. Um, and I personally, I'm sure a lot of people are like me, thrive on the, the deadline and the intensity of project work, right? We love throwing all of ourselves into something intensely for a short period of time, 
that then is, you know, in, immensely successful and exciting and all of that. And then you go home and lie on the couch for a day or something or whatever you do to, to not do that. Mm-hmm. So I can definitely use up my time in many ways at home without doing a project. Um, but at some point you kind of exhaust <laughs> all of those things, right? You might have a home project, you might have a a sourdough starter that you need to get to all those things that we've all taken on. But at some point I really wanted something that I was focusing on that also, you know, kept up my chops a little bit um, and gave me some focus that felt like we are going to get back to this. You know, this is something that we all do. This is something that we all love. um, And it's, it's not gone forever. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. Uh, as soon as the tour is over, I need two or three days of nothingness. But beyond three or four days, man, I get stir crazy and I have to do something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've cleaned my garage more times this year than I've ever cleaned my garage in history. You know, <laughs> my wife I, used to always joke. She would say, oh, I, I worry if you're home for longer than a week because then a wall might come down in our house. Yeah. <laughs> because I would always find, oh, you know, I really wanted to do this little project or yeah, something. And if I have a longer period of time, I know I can actually get it done. I'm notorious for doing taking on a project that I'm probably going to break something so that I have to go buy something new and then I have to go somewhere and do something and talk to somebody and then come back. And we're not, we're not really good at sitting around watching television for more than in a few days. Yeah. And I found, I mean, I do a lot, I do a very wide variety of things in the industry, right? So there's all the on-site stuff, but then I also, I do a lot of video editing, content creation, that kind of stuff. And I love it. But I found as I was trying to maybe focus more on that or to be learning things with that, that I also don't only want to do that because there is a lot of sitting and, and just focusing on that. So it's like this project was kind of a good combination of multiple things because there was the physical element of I literally need to bake things and assemble things and also be checking shots and operating equipment um, Mm -hmm. rather than just one specific type of a thing. Yeah, this isn't, I mean, even though it's a, it's a huge pivot, it's not, that far off from what you would normally doing. I mean, you're still requiring video editing skills, uh, stop motion. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of, it's basically content creation that you were doing there. Yeah. Yeah. And again, a new form that I was excited to try out. I I've done some stop motion for some artists and different ways of using actual footage, um, rather than just generic computer generated type content. And it's exciting. I, I really enjoyed it. And it's something I definitely want to explore more um, and hopefully use in the future. Your career, when I think of it, like how long you and I have known each other, perfectly enabled you to be able to build a, a gingerbread roadie arena because you have been, you've been, you've seen load-ins from every single angle. You've been a technician You've been out at front of house the entire time. You've done a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I think that's, that's been a, it's a blessing and a curse, obviously all of those, all of those things. I sometimes feel like, man, I should really be 
incredibly, incredibly good at this one thing. But then I look back and I say, well, but I love that I can be good or at least adequate in some things, you know, great in others, because some of that perspective really helps when you're, when you're thinking about programming or designing or creating content, because you're not just looking at your one specific element that you maybe know backwards and forwards and don't have a concept of anything else. Mm -hmm. So what Brent and I are starting to hint at is how wonderful and how useful it is to know the, the role of the position of the person that you're asking to do something. And the best examples of, if you're a programmer who has worked on moving lights, you know the amount of time it takes to work on moving lights. So you don't make absurd requests of the technicians like, hey, go fix that and have it back up in five minutes. Like that's not how it works. Yeah, and, yeah, it, it, and no, that's super true. <laughs> even further now that Brent is where he's at now, like even as a programmer, when you're generating content, you know what form and how it should be delivered to the programmer. Yeah. Yeah. What's going to be the easiest, even just naming conventions or, or the way that you export exactly. It's, it's understanding the entire process and understanding how best to get it out there. Right. We have the technology. Of course we can adjust things. Of course we can make things different or better in, in the moment, but to not have that vision ahead of time is it's, you need it. You really do. I can't tell you how many times I've been a programmer and somebody has come to me with a bunch of content geared for whatever the content creators had used on the last gig, like say a uh, disguise or a green hippo. And they come to me with all that same content. Like, You're just going to load it into the computer. Here's my <laughs> USB stick. I'm like, doesn't no, quite work it's that not way. that easy. Yeah. It, yeah. We have a different format today. We have a different media server or, you know, they just don't get it. They either, they don't, they haven't been at it long enough or, or they're just apathetic about it. They're just like, yeah, just do whatever it is that programmers do. Right. Right. But you touched on it too. Understanding, you know, I've been a lighting tech, I've been a dimmer tech and knowing that if you're out on a tour and you're the LD and you normally get your front of house at 2 p.m. or whatever, but there's a day where it's all of a sudden really close to doors and you're upset to understand that when you've been on the other side, it's not like you're slacking. It might just be the venue. It might just be the people that day. It might be so many other things that happen. And if you haven't been there and haven't seen it, you have different expectations. Mm-hmm. So as somebody who's done all of those positions, was being content, was being a content creator slash media programmer your end goal from the beginning? Or did it, was this just a natural progression? Sort of a natural progression. My, my history is strange because I did a lot of lighting in high school. I enjoyed doing that for shows and stuff at our high school. Um, and then when I went to college, I was also, sorry, also in high school, I was doing a lot of video stuff at the time, actually shooting on VHS, tape to tape editing. Oh man, I remember that. You know, I'm really putting putting my age out there now, but it was, <laughs> the nonlinear had not taken off yet because the computers were not there. But 
then in college, I actually went to college for my degree was in radio, television, and film. So it was mostly film production was my, what I wanted to do. I wanted to be cinematographer. I wanted to do that thing. So it moving out to LA after college, I was going into mostly film stuff. I was working on sets. I was being a third assistant camera on something. And on the other side, I was doing lighting because in the lighting industry, you can be 23 and people will take you seriously. Whereas I found in the film industry, there was a lot of, well, you have to put in your time. You have to do, you know, 80 years of this before we'll ever put a camera in your hands. And that was fine. I understood the purpose. I understood the reason, but I also just wanted to work and make money and live uh, while doing all these things that we liked doing. So I did a ton, a ton of lighting. And then about the time that all of a sudden media servers started happening and becoming the lighting guy's job, I was in the unique position of being like, well, I already know video. Like I've learned codecs, I've learned formats, I know all the back end of video. So learning a piece of software isn't a big deal. I can, I can definitely do that. And I know what programming is. So it was a natural progression to then start doing media servers. It sounds like you were very cognizant of not pigeonholing yourself in any way. You were always actively seeking other information from that wasn't immediately in front of you. Yes. And also, I think we all benefit from, well, I wouldn't say benefit, but we all look for ways that we can make money, honestly. (laughs) And I found, well, okay, I can do some lighting, but then I also need to be doing something else. So, you know, oh, my buddy needs a DVD edited and cut together. Okay, I'll do that. I'll, you know, I've learned the software in college and I can use it now and great, here you go. So there's part of me was just hustling and getting any gig I could in any capacity, because if it required learning a new piece of software, that wasn't, that wasn't that much of an impediment to me because I feel like we're all that way. We all have, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us, it's more about, um, we all know how to learn the programs and the pieces of equipment. And that's the more important thing than actually knowing how to use the piece of equipment and, and software. So when you transition from, like, say, crew chief, which is kind of a nuts and bolts mentality, to content generator slash creator, which is far more creative, did you find that 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 creativity had always been there? Or did you have to cultivate that creativity? A little bit of both. Um, It's always something I saw... In, in my future, I always wanted to do lighting design and, and, and video has always been something interesting. So I've always had ideas, had thoughts about things, listened to music and envision in my head colors or, or shapes or whatever. Um, so there was a little bit of that, but then it was also learning what can work, you know, what is available to me in the time that I have for most projects, what will look good um, and what what are people looking for? Because everything's changed certainly in the 15 years I've been in, in the industry. LED didn't exist in the beginning. The, the content was all standard definition. Um, you know, there's so much that has changed that mm-hmm. uh, 
staying current with that obviously is important, but I think also just having a broader sense of your own, you know, what, what does this song feel like to you? What is this moment? Um, how do you picture it? Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. We are almost out of time. Thank you so much for filling in. I had so many questions about the gingerbread roadies. I'm, I'm so happy to have that inside information. Uh, Absolutely. Before we go, one of the last questions I want to ask is that we, we just started to touch on it is when it comes time to start generating content. So in, in the, in the case of the gingerbread roadies, you had 100% wide open, uh, carte blanche. You could choose whatever you wanted to. You had total creative direction and outlet. When it comes time to working with bands, how much input do you accept from them or what's a normal workflow for the bands? Do they usually give you an exact uh, vision of what they want or do they usually give you just a general idea and where do you take it from there? Well, I would say it goes, it runs the gamut for sure because there okay. are bands that have very specific ideas of what they want and they really just need you to execute it. And there are others that say, this needs to feel ethereal or this should be, you know, shiny. Okay, well, I can't make shiny video, but I'll, I'll use that as a <laughs> jumping off point. Um, I... I try and listen to music and think about things before I have those conversations, just because then I can have in my head some ideas and it's not meant to shoehorn them into anything, but it's to bring another voice to their conversation. Right. They mm -hmm. say, okay, this needs to be shiny. And I say, well, but maybe it's a soft shiny because we could have these, you know, shapes or we could have this bokeh effect that, is added on to whatever and maybe that is the shining that you're looking for rather than oh you just want a mirror ball on the screen or something right that's so specific <laughs> um so it, it definitely varies um my process is often with the either the creative director or sometimes the artist um sometimes uh you know it's it's who knows it's always a, a random group sometimes there's already a, a creative team in place who just needs another content creator on their team so then they're the ones that are sort of generating and giving you notes and that thing um but i personally i feel you have to remain humble in it because you cannot get too invested in your own thoughts or ideas um, and I mean, this is true about anything, right? We all, uh, this has to be a blue song. And it's like, if the artist wants it to be a red song, make it a red song, you know, other than my wife has synesthesia, which is where she hears um, like certain words have colors, certain letters have colors. It's this incredible thing. But so to her, there are things that like, literally, if you say the letter A is purple, she like loses her mind because it is not, it is a specific color and that is it. <laughs> but they artists often have um specific ideas about stuff and mm -hmm. uh, you know there are things that i will fight for if i really think you know let's try this and i will maybe even work on an edit off on my own time just to have it there to be like let's just look at it if you hate it fine we throw it away even though i've worked on it and i love it fine but 
Mm. You know, and you have to be okay with that because that will happen. <laughs> and I mean, I had a time when I had this really great stuff and it was this very treated footage of like a city and it had grain and it had all this kind of grit to it. And that was, it was a look and the creative person was like, this looks terrible. Why is it all grainy? Why isn't it this perfect, whatever shot of, you know, a city? And I said, well, that's, that's a different look. I mean, we are talking about two different things here. And I think this really has the the element that this music is pushing and it was no we need it to just be a perfect thing okay well great let's do that then oh man that requires a total tear down of ego to spend you know multiple hours on a texture just to have it thrown away and you're like ah yeah and it's it, tough and it's but that's that's the back and forth of our industry right that's the creativity yeah. that i you know the people that i really enjoy working with the most are people who when they have suggestions I'll be like man I worked really hard on that but you're right like that is something that's better once I do it and I see it I I trust it and yeah those you know those are the those are the the interactions that we have that are so fun they are I think we're kind of aggrandizing in them right now. Yes, when we we're not having them, it's real. It's real easy to look back on them and think about how fun they are. But man, they're tough. Yeah, they are, I've had to bite my tongue and just grit my teeth so many times. I'm like, okay, that's what we're doing. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm probably at the the tenth stage of of uh, acceptance <laughs> of COVID at this point, where I'm looking back fondly on. <laughs> it's like an ex girlfriend. No, it was wonderful. We had great times yeah. together. No, I really do love uh, fishing cables through the front of house trenches. I, I, yeah. I do love that. I promise. Yeah, that, that smell of my gloves that is just. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, I miss how trying to find a front of house path through the, through the, through the bleachers and over the, the hand railings and <laughs> duct tape to the, to the spike that holds it over the yeah. entrance yeah those i had a moment that... it was a few days ago when i was um you know grabbing a sweatshirt and i underneath it was this like really really heavy sweatshirt that i have and it just made me think of uh you know i always bring it for the load in in philly of jingle ball which i'm normally doing right now because it's so cold and so stupid that it's that cold and i'm like I mean, I miss it, but I'm also not missing that I'm freezing cold, like in Philly <laughs> right now, right? Like there's, there's the good and the bad. Uh, if only you're a gingerbread man, then you could, uh, <laughs> you could handle those temperatures. It'd so be no easier. problem. <laughs> right on, man. Well, anybody who's listening, I will leave links to everything that we discussed in the notes and uh, feel free to check out the gingerbread roadies. Thank you so much, Brent. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. It's always great to catch up, Chris. Bye.